result. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. Hello, fuckers. So you guys know how my interviews usually go, right? So always at the start, I'll have my intro that I read. And I feel like that's always a good icebreaker with interviewing artists, especially because most of the artists that I interview are based in LA or outside of New York. I think that sometimes Zoom and doing things over a video call can be kind of disconnected and a little impersonal because you're not in the room with each other. I feel like the energy is so much different when you're in the room together. And I've noticed that from the interviews that I've done in person, a few of them. So I always try to offset that by starting with the intro and rattling off some accomplishments and some stats of the artist, throw in a joke maybe here and there to kind of break the ice. And I feel like when you remind people of their successes, And you compliment them, not to say that it's not genuine, because everything I say in those intros are always genuine. I don't make shit up to kiss people's asses because that's not my fucking style. But I feel like it puts people in a place to feel a little more comfortable and maybe like a little more open, you know, and just immediately kind of establish a comfortability. So when I was interviewing Eric Zane, we didn't really have an opportunity for that because the conversation just kind of started to flow as soon as we jumped on the Zoom call, which was great. Like the energy was great from the jump. And I didn't have an intro written actually. So I was going to add it in after. But now that I've listened back after editing and, you know, perfecting everything, I don't even feel that it needs it. I don't often connect and vibe with someone so hard when it comes to like music And these kind of conversations, I mean, I have with a lot of the artists I've interviewed, but like that real serious make me kind of jump out of my chair relationship with another person with music is a little less common for me. So I felt that like right from the jump with Eric Zane. And I love this interview so much. I honestly think it's one of or if not my favorite that I've done yet. I am obsessed with his music. I didn't know who he was like three weeks ago. And I'm fucking obsessed with him now. I can't wait for him to tour so I could see him live. His new single, Tropicana Kisses, is out now. You'll hear us talk about it in the interview. Make sure you head over to his Instagram, at Eric Zane. Follow him. Streaming links are there. Keep up with what he's releasing. He's got an album coming. There's a video for the new single coming soon that he's been posting clips of over the past couple days. And I just can't say enough good things about him. I was immediately, upon listening to him, so in awe of his songwriting and his producing and just his talent in general. And then after having the conversation with him, I just think he's one of the coolest people. He's had such great successes in his career so far, and he's worked with so many incredible and legendary people in the music industry. And he's so cool, so easy to talk to, so humble. And I really am just so impressed with him. And I want everyone to hear this fucking music. The new song's out. Obviously, we talked about some of his older music, which is still available on streaming. So make sure you check some of that stuff out because I think he's a really important artist. I think that the stuff that he's about to put out is going to be really interesting and really different from anything that we're hearing right now. And you guys know how I am. When I get really into an album or an artist or whatever it is with music, I want everyone I fucking know to hear it. And I send it to everybody as I've been doing. I also think it's really special when you see something and catch something early 
that you think is going to be really big. I don't get that feeling every once in a while when I discover an artist or I see them live and I'm so impressed by them. I'm like, oh shit, that's really something. And I'm glad I caught it early. So as he's about to release his debut album and really start full force, pushing his solo music to the next level, I'm so excited that I kind of caught it while it's still early and I can see the development and how he changes and evolves going forward as an artist. So enjoy the interview. I'm going to shut the fuck up now. <laughs> thank you for having me, dude. Of course. Thank you for being here. I've been so excited about this all week. I've been sending your music on Spotify to literally everybody. Really? Oh, man, dude. Thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm so stoked about this new album because uh, it's, it's, it's the truest, it's the truest sound that I've, that I've, you know, created for myself. I grew up to this music. Like my brother was a DJ, my right. older brother. And, um, he used to play me all this stuff. Like I remember being a kid and just walking in his room and he used to play me like Prince, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Jamiroquai, Sly and the Family Stone and P-Funk Parliament. And, you know, it was like, it was, was what, what was in my blood. It's always been in my blood. It's what I love. And, uh, you know, but my voice could do, um, it could do Chris Cornell. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I wrote a few of those songs because I love rock music as well. Right. But that kind of took off. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm the typical artist that is absolutely in love with, with the moment when I'm creating. And then the minute that it's done, I fucking hate it. I never <laughs> want to leave me alone. People play, they're like, oh my God, can we play a new song? I'm like, no, it sucks. Right. You know, it's like, but this is different. This feels different for me, man. It's just like, it feels true. And uh, I'm just really excited about it. I feel like that's like the struggle of a creative person though. And obviously what I do is very different from what you do, but I kind of feel the same way. Like there's sometimes I'll do an interview or I'll do an episode of this show and I'll be like, wow, that really fucking sucked. And then I'll edit it together and I'll put it out and somebody will be like, Oh, that was such a good episode. It's one of your best. And I was like, really? I think it's shit. And I never want to hear it again. <laughs> and then you unfriend them. Yeah. I'm like, don't talk to me anymore because you're either bullshitting me or you're exposing the fact that I'm a lunatic. So either one is not going to work for me. And it's, it's, man, it's, it's so crazy because like as a creative, um, we need to surround ourselves with people that we trust. Yeah. Right. And we need, we need to trust that people's opinions are something that we can, uh, you know, like the, the close circle that we have, um, it's people that, you know, can really lead us in the right way, following our compass, et cetera. Like, you know, but if, if I have a really good friend or, or, or my girlfriend, for instance, right. Mm -hmm. If I play something really terrible and she says, that's so great. I go through this whole emotional thing where I'm like, can I trust you? <laughs> can I trust you at all? You know, it's like, it's so funny. I guess it's just but subjective, I, though, because like there's so much music that I hear that I don't personally enjoy that has such a big following or charts really well or the tour of that artist will be doing really well. I specifically can't stand country music. I have love and respect for every form of music and the same for country artists. Like I respect the writing and the talent. But when I hear it, it's just not for me. I just I don't like it. So I guess like enjoying something is subjective. But it feels so personal when the project is your own that you start to make yourself a little crazy, I feel. 
there's there's all there's almost something more important than uh the style it's the authenticity mm-hmm. which is what i found you know i think that um a lot of people will respond to authenticity more than style right. you know like um that's the thing man i just like i i you know i've always music has always been my first language i, I was always able to basically you know like transmute what was around me into uh, into, into, you know, music and songs. But at first it was just this sort of expression, like breathing. It was just like, that's, that's who I am. I, I, you know, like I literally would, would be at a, at a, you know, family event right. and I would hear someone yawn and it would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, and I'm just doing it for the fun of it. But then you know, I, once you, once you realize your nature and who you are, there's a level up from that, that I found with myself. It's like the level of, um, how do you go deeper into yourself Mm -hmm. and, and not play around anymore, but actually create something that is, you know, uh, realizing your full potential. And that is a terrifying journey because, uh, it's a journey where, you know, I think a lot of people are punch card people, right? They'll mm-hmm. just go in, they'll go in life with, you know, just tell me what to do, right? Tell me what to do. Oh, this has worked, so I'm going to do this. And they just literally just follow the trend. But the minute that I find as an artist, you want to do something that's different, it's it's terrifying mm-hmm. because you go through this whole psychological, you know, level of like, am I wrong about every single thing in my right. life? You know, like, should I just be the a punch card guy or should I, you know, do what's in my heart and fail gloriously? Right. right? So for me, like my main influence was Prince. And what I loved about Prince, you know, even more so than his music, which has shaped me completely, was his courage. Mm-hmm. You know, Prince, like I read every single thing about him. And uh, he was just so courageous. Like he went against his whole label all the time. They were like, no, you got to do interviews. And right. he's like, no, I'm not going to do interviews. You know, he's like, you have to put a bass in this song. And he's like, I'm not going to put a bass in this song. Right. And he went against everything and it worked. Take chances and and go forward. Because when you actually get, when you actually get to shape, um, you know, the, you know, the space that, that you exist in, uh, with something that you took a risk in, there's literally nothing. Like I know for me, like I produce a lot of different people, Mm -hmm. you know, I realized the reason why I work really well in the studio with other artists is because it's not really what I dream of. Right. right? I've never dreamt of being a big producer. So because of that, I'm able to get in the studio and work with these people and not make it about me at all. It's about the music. It's about the skill. It's about the download. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's ego about it. So I would get tons of people knocking on my door, asking me to work with them because of that. And it got to a point where I'm like, I don't this like I could have, you know, like endless number one hits producing other people. And it's not something that I would die satisfied doing what is really in my soul and in my heart is my own music and having the courage to express, right. you know, my, 
spirit through my own music. So that's what I believe I'm on. I'm on right now. And I'm really excited about it. Right. And what's it all worth if it's not fulfilling? Absolutely. Like, I think that when you do what you love, you could have one tenth of, you know, what it brings back and it would be worth 10 million more, you know, hundred percent. Then if you have all this stuff doing something that you kind of love, you know, it, it just wouldn't matter as much. That's, and that's the difference between most people. I find like there's some people that there's some people who live for security and there's some people who live for freedom. So you have such an interesting and inspiring story of how you got to where you are. So talk to me a little bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like, if you're comfortable talking about that. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Um, I've had a very difficult childhood and I feel like it's, um, it's, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world to have experienced that because mm -hmm. of what it should be, right? It's just like, I grew up uh, in the Congo, Africa, which is, you know, it's a country that's right in the center of Africa. It's the most African jungle Mowgli uh, <laughs> setting that you can imagine, you know? And I grew up there until I was about 12 years old. My parents lived there already. Uh, my two My two older brothers, you know, were already like, you know, living there with my family and they weren't expecting another child, but then they had me. And um, it's kind of the only life that I knew, right? I had, I had like my own pet snake that I caught myself, you know, uh, I called him Kaya, you know, uh, from the Bob Marley song. Mm -hmm. And he, he used to wrap itself around my arm and I used to go to school with it. And um, I just lived this very kind of jungle life in Kinshasa, uh, which was the, the capital of the Congo. And I, it's all that I knew. Right. Um, and then one day when I was about, um, 12 years old, I left my school on Friday afternoon and there were soldiers everywhere and they were handing out they were handing out notes mm -hmm. and I went home and gave it to my mom. And the note said, don't leave your house on Monday, a war will start. And Monday morning, 7am, the sky was covered with bullets um and all they, they were basically there was a full civil war that was that was going on and you know most of my friends died oh my uh, our the, our schools all the schools got burnt mm -hmm. the airports were you know all lit on fire there you couldn't go out in the streets and we basically had to live inside the house and ration our food uh and uh protect ourselves from you know the you know people coming in and basically killing us because that's what was going on. Uh, my dad had uh, communication with uh, the uh, the embassy at the time, and they called my dad and they said, um, we only have one seat left on the last plane that is leaving the Congo to evacuate people. After that, you're on your own. Uh, we're going to offer the seat to one of your family members. Uh, who do you want to put? And my two brothers were in the back building Molotov cocktails, I remember, which is something they, mm -hmm. where you mix alcohol and oil, and in case mercenaries came, they would just throw it. It was a full-on war zone. I was a kid. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. But within a very short time, this military truck came and grabbed me and pulled me away from my family and uh, put me on a plane that was gone. And uh, my life had completely changed. Um, I didn't see my family for another 10 years after that. For a long time, I didn't know if they were dead or alive because Jesus there was no Christ. phone. There was no phone lines uh, where you could, 
uh, call them. It was always busy because it was just, uh, you know, a third world country. Um, and I really had to develop myself, even though I went with my mom's family that lived in Montreal at the time, uh, it, it wasn't a great situation, you know, and I was a very troubled child at the time because I didn't know who I was, what I was. I didn't have any leadership, any parents, any guidance. It was really messed up. Um, and I was trying to find myself in this whole thing because I, I went to this weird public school where there was like these people kicking each other's asses with bats and threatening to come and bomb the school. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on coming from this? <laughs> African life, you know, where everything is like super chill. Um, and the only thing that saved me was, uh, was music, you know, and, uh, my older brother that was my protector, Rom, uh, was extremely talented. And he's the one who, uh, always, I remember he always had style and he had like music and he was a DJ and he was so cool and he loved Prince. Mm -hmm. So, so play me Prince all the time. So when, when I couldn't speak to my family, uh, that's one way that I would connect, right? And all of a sudden, music, which, which was not something that I was planning on doing, uh, kind of just came to me. I just started hearing music in my head, um, and I kind of just intuitively learned how to play every instrument on my own, and I kind of just, just knew how to do it. I learned how to play drums and bass and guitar and keys and sing, write, produce, engineer. And because Prince was my my influence, right? There was no limitation to what he could do in my eyes. So I'm thinking that was normal for every single person, right? Right. So I said, I'm going to learn everything and I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to be courageous about it. And um, yeah, that's basically how I came to music. How old were you at that point when you left? I was 12 when I left. And uh, when it hit me was about a year later. Uh, everything just started vibrating. I just remember being, you know, it's so crazy because sometimes I talk about my story mm -hmm. and I, I I have to double check because it it sounds like such bullshit. <laughs> and like, you know, like I'm trying to write a fucking movie or something, but this is all factual what I'm saying. And sometimes, you know, I've 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 lived that story so many times that I got to step back into it and and look. But I remember I was like, I was this troubled kid. I just couldn't really understand what was up, what was down. And the only thing I had was music. And, you know, I was obsessed. Like I just, everything started vibrating. Keyboards started vibrating. Guitars started vibrating. And right. I was just hearing sort of antenna, this music in my head that was nonstop, you know? And um, I knew at that moment when it hit me that that's what I was meant on this earth to do. And all these doors opened for me, you know, like it was just, it was just magical, almost like it was my destiny. And I had just found it at the time. It was very strange. So talk to me about how producing for other artists and writing for other artists started, because you were saying that that wasn't really something that you wanted to pursue or that you were passionate about, but you've had so yeah. much success with it. I think that's like such an interesting part of it. Um, so yeah. how, how did that come about if it wasn't something that you were looking for? It's never something that I pursued, even to this day. You, I never reach out to anybody. I never have, I never wake up in the morning thinking like, oh my God, I got to get a cut with her. You right. know, I got to get a, like, I don't care. For me, it's all about the music. Um, the way it happened is is really stupid. I basically, um, I went broke mm -hmm. at the time. 
And I had this studio and I had all these bills I had to pay for. And my ex-girlfriend said, I said, fuck, man, I'm going to have no money in like a month. And she goes, why don't you open your doors to producing people? Like, you're a great producer. I'm like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, like I it's only for me. Like, I only want to produce myself. She's like, just put it on Facebook. Just put on Facebook. Hey, I got time if anybody's interested. I'm like, okay, fine. So I did that. And the doors just started fucking opening. It was just like, all of a sudden, there was a lineup of people that wanted to produce. And from there, um, yeah, it was just nonstop. It went from every project, like Jordan Sparks, Maris Yahoo, Jeremy Renner, Dwayne Johnson Films, Her, Dallas Austin, Walter Afanasiev, like Post Malone. Like, it was just like nonstop. And, and you know, it kind of took me by surprise because I'd always walk in there, not like a producer who was like, that's his dream. That's what he wanted right. to do. But just a musician that knows how to produce. And, you know, it it actually opened a lot of things for me. Um, I was surprised because a lot of things that I was looking for, I was looking for, I found by producing other people. It's an extremely humbling experience for one, um, because you know, you learn how other people work and you, you know, especially living in LA, you work with so many gifted people. Like I had the opportunity to work with people that were my peers, like people that have really shaped the scope of music and have affected my sound, you know, like people like Dallas Austin. I mean, he is such a legendary producer. It's right. nonstop. He's done. And I get to meet him and he just falls in love with me and we hang out in the studio all the time and I'm sitting there going me <laughs> you yeah, know right. and I'm watching him I have so many moments where I'm just sitting there and just watching him and watching how he works and it's completely different than how I work and I have that experience all the time um it just really bettered me as a as a musician overall I'm very very grateful for that but it's one of those things where you don't know what's good for you you know uh, unless you try it and right. you know, you only know what you know, but the best thing is the things you don't know. So in this time, as that's happening, are you frustrated that you're finding more immediate success in something that you didn't really want to do versus your own solo music that you're working on? At first. Yeah. Um, and that's what I had to rethink. Um, I had to rethink what I was doing and I realized that um, the energy that I was putting in other people when I was producing them was completely pure. Right. It wasn't me trying to write a hit for them. It was like, you know, like people would come to me and they'd be like, oh man, I really want to, I, I really want to write a Selena Gomez song. I'm like, okay, cool. I would always ask them two questions. It would be like, what was the first song your parents listened to? And what was the first band that you can remember falling in love with? Right. Because I learned that music is a visceral thing. If people can feel in their DNA that you are authentically that they will react to it. And it's not about the quick success. It's about the longevity, painting the whole picture. So, you know, I would think of what's her name? Um, oh, my God. Um, back to Black. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Right? So I'm thinking of Amy Winehouse. Like she would probably say. The first music that my parents made me listen to was uh, Billie Holiday. And the first band I fell in love with, for example, could be like Wu-Tang Clan. And I'm like, 
there's your sound. Right. Let's make that modern, right? And then I took it back to me. It was teaching me a lot of lessons where I'm like, well, how do I do that for me? Because when I'm so close to it, I don't have as much perspective, right, as me producing these other people. So this is what it brought me. So I decided to um, produce myself the same way I produced them. And this is why I'm so excited right now. Like, it's almost like one of those things where you're so proud of what you just created that you don't give a shit what anybody thinks right. about it. Right. That's that's the way I think. That's those often turn out to be the best albums and the best projects. I think so. Do you remember what drew you to songwriting initially? It, there was no there was no songwriting specifically that I got drawn to. It was a whole bubble of one thing. It was just basically you just created art. Right. right. You just created art. It was I was always led by the sound and the color and the style of it. Then songwriting, you know, that's like all, all the things that I loved. It was a feeling, you know, mm -hmm. when I listen when I listen to people that I love, you know, I'm like, how do I get that feeling as opposed to, you know, what are those lyrics and how do they shape it together? Like, right. I, I never cared about that stuff. It was just a general compass that would lead me to it. So you've collaborated with some really huge artists. I want to throw out some names and I'd love for you to tell us what you worked on with them. And if you were in the studio together, something you noticed about them during the process that impressed you. Because I always find it interesting to hear people talk about the experience in the studio and what they might expect from an artist versus what they get. Okay. All right, let's talk about her. Her is uh, the closest thing to... Um... She was okay. So the 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 three things that I absolutely was blown away with her is her discipline. Mm -hmm. She does not go out and party. She doesn't have a drink on the weekend. She doesn't smoke weed. She wakes up at six in the morning and gets her shit done. And she is so dedicated to her craft. She'll practice, and it's so simple. There's no there's no struggle. It doesn't feel like. You know, like, oh, man, I got all this shit to do. She's like, no, she just accepted that that's her role. And she does it very calmly. It completely blew me away how disciplined she was. Also, that she's extremely open and kind. Mm -hmm. You know, she acknowledges people that are in front of them. She gives everybody respect. And it was just me, her, and me, her, and me <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> and it was so cool because we were at Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis studio when we were recording this song. I can't wait till this song comes out. It's so good. Man. Oh, this is it's something so, that's coming? Yeah. We don't know when. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that you learn when you work with artists, right? Like you you kind of just write it and you leave it alone. And it comes out when it does. But uh, it, it, it was magical what we wrote. Um, and yeah, I mean, her and I, we would go back and forth on the guitar with Dallas and we were just, it was like a, it was like a camp. Like we were just chilling. I'd play guitar. She played guitar. I played keys. She, you know, like, what about this chord? Let's add a nine to it. Let's flip it to a seven. What about if we went to this sus chord and Dallas is like, yeah, let's do this. And it was just so cool. It just felt friendly, you know, and it's not always like that. Her, she, she was very, very impressive, um, to work with probably by far one of my favorite. CeeLo Green. CeeLo Green is, uh, he's like, <laughs> he's this entity, you know, he's just like an alien, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like he's so unique. He's like such his own thing. Yeah, like CeeLo is just, he's, he's brilliant. And uh, he's, he's, he's just incredible at who he is, you know? And uh, it's more about you trying to understand the language, you know? Uh, so Dallas and I, it's interesting because I had this song, I had this groove that I had written 
um, probably like three years before that. And I had just sent it to Dallas just to check it out. He's like, dude, this is perfect. I'm in the studio right now with CeeLo and uh, we're going to write this song. And uh, we wrote this song called The Tree, mm-hmm. which has this really deep message about how the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that one is coming out, too. I can't wait for that one to come out. Uh, very, very special. Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, I worked with indirectly through uh, one of his uh, uh, guitar players um, that he's awesome. Like he does country songs mm-hmm. and we were on a project for him. So I never got to meet him personally and I can't wait. I hope I do because uh, he's definitely one of my mentors. Jordan Sparks. Jordan Sparks was just like, she's just like so sweet. Mm-hmm. Like she's just a sweetheart, you know, like just... I don't know, man. She was just the sweetest girl I ever worked with. I love her. Of course, she has an incredible voice. Um, but she's like, uh, you know, she feels like family when you're working with her. She's incredibly talented. You can tell she knows the game. She knows how it works. And she's not about ego. She has zero ego. I was sitting there working with Jordan. And it was like one of the first people that I got to vocal produce. Right. And I had no name at the time. They just really liked the song that we wrote with this big DJ in Europe. And um, what song was it? Um, oh my god, you don't remember? I knew it. (laughs) Hold on, on. I gotta find it. It's so good. It's called Too Late for Love. Okay, I gotta listen to that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and I would sit there in the studio like scared, you know. I've had a few of those moments, like uh, Jordan Sparks was the first one where I sit there, I'm like, who the fuck am I to teach this? I'm like. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Uh, can you do it again and hold that note longer? Like, what? <laughs> and I remember the, the next time I had that experience was uh, with Jeremy Renner. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy Renner is uh, one of my best friends. He's an incredible, incredible human being, uh, extremely talented. And I didn't know he sang. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to an I went to a party at his house and he started singing. And I'm like, man, you sound so good. So um I took one of his vocals and I took it to my studio. I said, hey, man, do you mind if I take this and, and produce it? Because I hear something. He says, yeah, man, for sure. So I brought it to him and he loved it. So uh, he said, why don't you come? Like, we're, we're laying down vocals. And I remember the first time I would sit there in the computer and produce him. And we're inside his studio. It's just me and him in a room. And this is this massive movie star. And there's me telling him, that was really cool, man. Can you do it again with a little bit more growl? Uh, <laughs> You don't need to color it as much because there's already color in your voice, you know, just let it be. I'm just like, what? I'm going to I'm going to (laughs) die. That's wild. What did you work on with Usher? Oh, that's uh, so um, Dallas Austin and I would work on a lot of projects like he would he would bring me over to work on songs for Usher, for Puff, for Rihanna. Um, And uh, we went to his place and basically that we I didn't meet any of those people, but I worked directly with Dallas, who would work directly with them because mm-hmm. they're really good friends. And Dallas would be in the studio. Um, but I just did um I just did a bunch of songs for Andre Day. I don't know who, who if you know yeah, who that is. Yeah, of course. Is. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's amazing. So dude. Talented. She's a, oh yeah. Like we did this amazing project, Dallas and I, with her at her at his house, and she would come and hang out with us. And um, yeah, we did like five songs um very p funk i don't mm. know if you know who that is very george clinton you know like 
old school funk with I love that sound. Yeah, it's like it was so cool, man. And we would I remember because Dallas has these subwoofers that are like the sub is cranked to 10, mm -hmm. right? And it's a small room. So it's it's all bass. It's all bass. So I'm like, all right, man, the bass is good. Um, no, actually, it's the opposite. His sub was cranked, was too low. So I would keep adding more bass to the track, thinking that it needs more bass. And then I didn't see what the sub level was at. Right. So normally you're supposed to match what it actually sounds like to the levels that you're at, right? Because otherwise, if if your sub, if your bass level is too high, you're not going to put enough bass, vice versa. I had cranked this bass so loud that <laughs> everyone in the room loved the tracks. And by the time they, they got to their car and they bumped it, I was already on a plane back to L.A. from Atlanta. Um, it was all bass. And when I heard it, I was like, holy shit. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> the whole song. <laughs> She's amazing. I'm very blessed to work with a lot of these people and... Um, like another person that I love working with uh, is Lauren Hashian. Mm -hmm. Lauren is Johnson's wife. And um, we became extremely close friends, right? And uh, she would be at my studio all the time in Hollywood. And it kind of always blows my mind because I go to her house and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in my studio? <laughs> like there's homeless people outside singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And you're like, I love this place. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, and Dwayne would come and pick her up. And I'm like, uh, are you okay with this? It's like, yeah, man, it's cool. But, you know, he's a little bit worried too, but it's cool. It's Hollywood. Like, it's harmless. It just looks crazy. Right. Um, and so I, I, so I didn't know this, but she would come to my studio and we would write these amazing songs where she would have all the melodies. And I'm talking intricate melodies with intricate chords, not normal stuff. And I kept asking her, I'm like, how, how are you able to hear stuff like this? This is very advanced. She's like, I don't know. Cause she's very humble. Right. Well, I find like six months later after we wrote a billion songs that she's the daughter of the drummer of the band, Boston grew oh, up shit. on tour. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> and yeah. And, and then I find out like, cause we kept, we kept saying like, I kept telling Lauren, I'm like, I feel like your dad is here, right? And she's like, my dad would have loved you, hmm. right? So I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's cool. I feel like he's here right now. And then I find out like a year and a half later after we worked together that her dad used to be at my studio before I was there all the time. That's he fucking was, weird. He was there recording upstairs and it's a studio that's very like, people don't know about it, you right. know? And it's like, it's so crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. We would we would write a lot of songs um, for movies because it's connected to you know to to the whole team, um, and uh, that's how the song Exile came out. Right, Exile was really interesting because um, she said, "Oh well, you know, Black Adam is looking for songs," and I'm like, "Okay, um, let's write something." You know, they said they want something like Imagine Dragons. I'm like, "All right, cool." So we wrote a bunch of songs. And um, this was the last song. I did not want to show them this song. I didn't want to finish it. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was fucking terrible, <laughs> you know? And she was like, so I send them all the songs that I did, that we did. 
And she's like, Where, where's Exile? I'm like, oh, man, forget it. That song's bullshit. They're, they're never going to pick it. She's like, no, you need to put that song in there. It's great. I'm like, no, 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 it's not great. So they kept insisting, her and Naz, my other uh, writing partner, Naz Tokyo, they kept insisting. And finally, I send them the song. And I'm at the gym thinking nothing of it. Best case scenario, you get 10 seconds in a song because that's how most songs that make it to movies work. Right. So I'm working out at the gym and I get a call and she she says, uh, guess what? I'm like, what? She's like, DC and Dwayne uh, heard the song, flipped out, and they decided that it's going to be the closing song of the movie and they're going to make you the star of the song and they want to shoot the whole music video Crazy. and they want you to use footage from the unreleased movie. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you talking about? Next thing you know... I'm on set with like Taylor Swift's Dar- No, I, no, I don't think Spicy did that. Spicy Rico is incredible. I know he did the baby and a bunch of stuff. And there's like trailer, they're like trailers with my name on it. You know, I got the best stylist and there's like fucking cranes. I'm like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on? You know, like it just completely blew me away. Yeah. And then the song gets released and it goes number one on Shazam in the US, mm. which means that that was very special because it's the audience that picked right, it. Right, correct. Know, it, by any means so yeah that was another weird one that's crazy and then that movie turned out to be like a box office smash for like the first few weeks it was out it was number one and made a crazy amount of money so the amount of people that saw it was insane and the song i did before that was for a movie called red notice that also went number one and broke all the Netflix all the netflix record and we had the final song of the movie as well Mm -hmm. so it was all I don't know these things. I don't aim for these things. I don't try for these things. They kind of just happen. You know, it's really, it's really fucking weird. So the first thing you did with Dwayne was your song Coming Undone was in his commercial, right? Is that how you right. first met him? Uh, no, 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 no. I had, I had met him before with, uh, with, with, with his wife. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he knew he was, uh, he was a fan of what I was creating with her. Oh, so you were working was, with her first. I was working with her first. Got it. Um, and we already done a bunch of songs. Um, and uh, I did Coming Undone. I don't remember what it was for. I think it was for, I think it was either for Red Notice or Space Jam. I don't remember. But he heard it. He said, uh-uh, this is going for uh, Under Armour. Right. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. So he took the song, made it as the main thing, and put it on his playlist and the whole thing. So that was really cool. Crazy. I mean, again, Completely unexpected. You know, I'm just like, all right, that's amazing. The solo stuff that you started releasing in 2022 took a different direction. Your previous music we were talking about, it had like more of a rock edge to it. And then sonically, you pivoted to like the R&B funk sound. And I know you said that you're super inspired by Prince and he's your favorite artist and somebody that you grew up inspired by. But what prompted that shift in the sound at that time? Like what made you want to take that direction? That's a great question, man. You are a great interviewer, I just got to say. Wow, thanks so much. (laughs) You're saying stuff that actually really matters to me. Those are very important questions for me as an artist. Um, I was already tired of that sound. I was tired of doing rock. And um, it it was this thing where everybody wanted me to do it because that's what they expected from me. They're like, oh, your voice can do Chris Cornell. Why don't you do that? You know, why don't you go in the Imagine Dragon space? And the fire in me had already died when mm-hmm. it comes to that music. 
probably like a year and a half before. Right. But I didn't really have the, um, I didn't have the courage and perspective at the time to do what I wanted to do. So funny story, I had written a 12 song album um, under a band called Royal. The album is like, I'm really proud of it. It's almost like Queen meets Black Keys, Queen meets Black Keys meets Imagine Dragons. It's really, really dope. So my, my thought was going to be, let me release this album one by one and then shift over to this new sound. And um, I just started hanging out with a whole different crew because I told myself, like, I want to surround myself with people that have the courage to do what they do without giving a shit what the industry thinks or what other people think they should do. Right. So I started hanging around with amazing people uh, that were doing that. And I noticed in my studio, I would have parties at my studio all the time. And there would be a lot of people like all age, all, you know, like a mix of a whole bunch of cultures. And I, they would play their songs and everybody would vibe. They would be like, yo, this is so dope. And then I would play my rock stuff, which I didn't 100% believe in myself. Right. Right. And they were like, you're very talented. And it really, it really fucked me up because I'm like, that's interesting because um, they're not responding the same way that they're responding to their music. And these artists feel authentic about what they're doing. And I don't right. at the time. So at that moment, I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm shifting everything. Like I'm removed. I removed most of my music off uh, the internet, uh, you know, off Spotify. And um, I made this entire album. I'm man. I wish I could play it for you right now on this podcast, but you know, I could, maybe I'll send you a private link just for you. But I'm love really, really excited about it. I usually like, threaten people into sending me things in Dropbox that aren't released. <laughs> not real threats. Is that what you did with the lady in the bumper? <laughs> We're not talking about that. Did you like her album? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to smack her in the face, but I couldn't. So I so I started playing my new stuff to these people, mm -hmm. but not telling them it was me. Right. And when I started seeing that I would get the same response that they would get from people who felt authentic when I felt authentic about it, I'm like, I'm on the right path. Right. That's it. That's amazing. It's so interesting, too, how as a creative person, you pick up on that. Like when you look at how somebody reacts to something and you see the response versus how they responded to something else that wasn't yours. And then you're like, mm, I'm done with this. I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's scary, dude. It's scary. But I think that you develop a sense after a while of, you know, I love to follow Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin talks about that stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, I love, Rick Rubin. I love to develop a sense of, um, I remember that feeling led me to success, right? Like, like coming undone, for instance, I had written this song. Well, most of it, like the chorus and the music, three years before, right? And I knew it was something special, but I, I just knew it. Like one day something's gonna happen with this, and it's gonna be big. Cool, exactly what happened. And I can say every song that I've had successful success with, I remember the same feeling inside, right? Right. So that's what I'm led by. It's like there's like a map. There's a blueprint there of the emotions of what manifests into something that you want. 
Let's dive a little more into those songs because there's two of my favorites. Uh, Can't Help Myself has officially been added to my sex playlist. <laughs> Is this a private playlist? Yes. <laughs> yes. I was thinking about sending it out to the public because it's so good. And I want to find out, like, do I just think it's really good for the moment or would other people Please enjoy do. this? Yeah, I think we're going to put it out. And I was thinking when I was writing this interview, I was like, should I tell him that? Or is that fucking weird? And then I recalled the lyric, feels like heaven when I'm in it, keep your legs to the sky. And I said, nah, he'll be fine. It's cool. I'm going to tell him. We love to talk about sex on this show. (laughs) Dude, that is one of my favorite, favorite songs. But no, I love it because it's like the perfect capture of that feeling when you're like having really good sex with somebody consistently, the lyrics, the the harmonies, the melody, everything, you like, it feels like what you're saying. It feels like the whole vibe of it. And I was like, this is perfect. Throw this on the playlist. <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that, man, because like that was the first time that I switched my sound and that was the first song. It was a no brainer for me, man. I was like, let's go. We're doing this. And it was one of those fuck you moments. Like, I don't care whether you like this or not. If you don't, you don't get it. Cause right. this is amazing. Period. You know? Yeah. Thank you, man. Please put it out. Please share it. <laughs> I, think, I think more people need to hear this dance. <laughs> Who is can't help myself about who's giving you the goods at this time while you're writing this shit. Well, I wrote this song before. Um, I'm in a beautiful relationship now. Um, yeah, you better say that. You better say that first. <laughs> I am, though. Uh, but this song was more written about... It wasn't written from a place of love, you know? This 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 song was written from a place of complete lust. Right. Probably in a really fucked up, toxic relationship. You know, it just has this pull, like, I can't help myself, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, yeah, I mean... I don't know how how deep I can get into it, but um, <laughs> you're making me shy. That's cool. <laughs> I'll tell you a story when we're done with this that I'm not ready to talk about yet, but I'm like heavily relating to this. And it was really funny that I heard this song at the time that I did because of something specific that's happening in my life this week that these listeners are not getting just yet because the story has to develop a little more. Um, but I'll tell you about that later and why it's so funny that I heard this song now. Blue is another favorite of mine. What was the inspiration behind that one? Blue was, um, it was, it, it was about this new relationship that I'm in. It was kind of, it was different, man. Like, like, you know, like I used to be into this sort of toxic, um, love and I didn't know, I guess, you know, I'm an extreme person and I like extreme things. Mm-hmm. I like to feel extreme emotions, the way I used to go about it was not healthy for me. Um, and I used to go for a lot of crazy relationships that, you know, I absolutely hated, but I felt something deep. I felt this fire and made me write some amazing songs. Right. Right. Um, and then I met this, I met this girl and we're still together, but it was, it was just different. It felt like this opening the sky, you know, and, and that's what the song was really about. It kind of changed a lot of my perspective on things. So I would say it's about her. Right. It's the way that you see me. It's the way you don't need me. You know, um, it, it's, it's, she didn't need me. And it kind of blew my mind because like everything that I did before was like, I want to feel needed. You know, it was like this sort of, it was lust, you right. know, with her, you know, I, I was like, 
She's like, I'm not asking you to change. I'm not asking you for anything. I got my own thing. And I just love the independence of it. Right. You know, it just feel like, you know, tit for tat. So that was the inspiration for that song. My favorite part of music is a good harmony. A smooth, stacked vocal <laughs> will really just take me somewhere. And these two right. tracks that we just talked about are littered with exceptional harmonies. I always listen to like what's going on in the background vocally. And you can tell when an artist really gets it and, and pays attention to that detail. So I know you talked about Prince being such an inspiration. But besides Prince, are there any other artists that inspired that part of your music making? Because like whenever I talk about my attention to detail when I listen to music as a consumer... I always think of Mariah because that was my first introduction to someone like that. And her mm -hmm. harmonies and background vocals are so insane that I feel like her music as a kid taught me to listen to that in artists that have that. So I'm curious if there was an artist like that for you. I think there's a lot of music today that um, is very harmony driven. Like they create this beautiful, soulful blanket, mm -hmm. you know. What I would be more attracted to is a character in a voice, you know? And for me, like, um, I took a lot of these harmonies from, um, you know, a lot of the new soul that's going on in the music today. And of course, like, you know, like 90s R&B and stuff like that always has that, but there's a way to do it. Uh, like Lauren Hill would be really good at that. Um, but character is what always attracts me. Frank Ocean, mm -hmm. uh, Pac. You know, these are huge influences. Bruno Mars, obviously, you know, like he's just a harmony master with this stuff, especially Silk Sonics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's great. That whole project is insane. Incredible. Oh, the project is fucking phenomenal, man. Michael Jackson would be amazing at it. Stevie Wonder would be amazing at it. Um, and Michael Jackson had a way of weaving, um, which I did a lot in blue, like you would have a stack of vocals and then underneath them, there's vocals yep. that weave out of it while there's another note that comes in halfway through that stack and kind of just does this and lead up and lead down, yep. you know? And uh, so I would do that a lot just to create sort of, you know, something different, uh, colorful texture. I watched this YouTube video. Um, there's a guy, I can't remember the name of his channel. I wish I could shout him out, but I can't remember it. He pulls apart like the stems of different songs and isolates like vocals and production. And there's this one video I watched. You're talking about my boy. You're talking about a Christian. I don't, I don't know his name. He's like a, he's kind of he like baldish. Bald. Yeah, he's bald. Yeah. He's, he's a good mine. Christian, Christian hand. Oh my God. He's so cool. I watch his videos all the time. I fucking love it. Cause I'm such a nerd like that. Like, I don't know how oh, to dude. produce music. I don't understand too much of that. But when I watch it, I'm like so into hearing all the different parts and things that you might miss. And I feel like, those are the things that train my ear as as a listener to look for those He's things. So funny, Christian Hand is so funny. Like he'll break it down. Like he was talking about Stevie Wonder's. Um, uh, <laughs> he was talking about Stevie Wonder's drum fill in Superstitious, and it's like, yeah. He's like. Like, what the fuck is that? Did you just fall down the stairs and recorded it? It's like, he's so funny. He is man. funny. He, uh, I love him. I don't know if it was him specifically with what I'm thinking about, but I watched something that had like the vocal stems of um, Off the Wall by Michael Jackson and the, I, the intro and the bridge specifically listening to all the different things, things you can't even really hear that are so far under the rest of the vocals and the harmonies, his whole process was just incredible. 
I, I want to play you something real quick while we're here. Dude, listen to this. The beginning of Prince's first album, his first song, right? I remember being seven years old. Mm -hmm. My brother had already bought it, like, you know, vintage or whatever. And he played it. And um, I remember hearing this. I'm like, what? One person is doing this? Dude, this is him as a kid, right? And he just turned on the microphone and this is what his first song in the world, mm -hmm. self-produced, sounds like. I can't hear it. You can't hear it? I can't hear anything. <laughs> really? I was waiting for it to start. I was like, where is it? How do I do this? Can I play it through uh, Spotify over here? Would it play? Wait, I don't, what's it called? Is it on Spotify? Yes, yes, yes. Here. Do you, um, Hold on. Can I maybe uh, type in For You? The song is called For You by Prince. Oh, I love that. I can't, I can't hear it. You can't hear it now? <laughs> no. <laughs> what the fuck? But listen to these harmonies, man. Ooh. Yes. It's unbelievable, man. That's wild. I've never heard this before. It, it's all him. At like 16 years old, just like, like it's, it's insane. And there's no beat. I love that. But there's nothing. It's all him doing it. There's no instruments. You can't hear this through the microphone? No. That's fucking weird. You'll have to add it. You can hear me, but not this? Yeah. What's going on? Zoom hates Spotify. They blocked it. It's an algorithm thing. Wow, that's crazy. I'm going to get you, so high later and play that on the speaker. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it's like, it's a whole trip, man. It's like, it's. Yeah, it's like DMT music. There's this artist. I don't know if you know him. He's based in L.A. too. Um, his name is Q Marston, but he goes by Q. Q. Oh. oh, my God. I'm obsessed with him. We're actually in a fight. He doesn't know that we're, we're, we're in a standoff because I messaged him like 50,000 times like a stalker because I want to interview him so bad. And he never answered me. So we're in a fight, but I'll get over it. Um, that album, Soul Present, his new project, is fucking out Dude. of control. I can't even believe what's the, what's the name of that song oh i don't know that one the slow one i know it but i don't know the name oh you know it you know it you know it sorry but i'm gonna make you play another song now what's uh, the point song, you can't hear it <laughs> it's called today oh my god you don't have to play it now you can just oh yeah no i know this one i know this fuck one. man so so good but you see that's what that's what made me happy because like this is the shit I love. And there's a, there's a movement now of these amazing artists that are doing this music. You yeah. Know? I'm like, great. Let's go. That's what I'm doing. Oh, my God. Um, from that album, Incapable Heart. Do you know that one? It's my favorite one. I haven't heard the album. Oh, my God. So incapable. I'm going to send you a screenshot of the album okay. with circled tracks okay. that you need to listen to. Same. <laughs> he is so good. I love him so much. I can't get enough I love of it. Q, man. And, and what I love about Q is that he seems... Uh, he seems weird. Like he doesn't leave his, he doesn't leave his house. I love that part of it. He seems like he's like so eclectic and he just like hides in the studio or wherever he's making music and doesn't come out. And I fucking love that. You're going to make me search now. If there's Q interviews, I want to see. There is. I just watched the newest one. He was on that, um, that show on YouTube, the Terrell show. And I watched and it. How is he? It was amazing. And I watched it like half excited for him and half angry. <laughs> How is he in an interview? He's good. He was really good. I I know exactly what you're saying about like the weirdness of it. 
And when I was wa- about to watch the interview, I was like, I wonder how this is going to go. It was great. He was awesome. He's very like, he seems <laughs> very charming and personable, even though he also seems kind of like he hides somewhere. I don't, it's like it's like a 50-50. I don't know. I loved it. I'm obsessed with him. I have sent every person in my life who listens to music and then some that fucking album dying for everyone to hear it. It's so good. It's so good, man. It's so refreshing. I have, I'm going to send you a playlist okay. of these artists that I follow. Like, cause you know, it's funny because today with the Spotify era, a lot of people don't remember names. Mm-hmm. That's why I make playlists. So there's like, um, CJ Lewis, uh, uh, Cosmos Midnight, you know who that is? I don't. Oh my god, dude! Like I'm, I'm about to give you a whole bunch of people. You, got I can't wait. I'm so excited. This is some special, special people, man. There's like Cosmos Midnight. There's Sun Little. You heard of Sun Little? Mm-mm. Cautious Clay. Yeah, of course. Jordan McCampa. Nope. Free Nationals, obviously. Do you listen to Laven Kali? Yes. Oh, love him. I've seen him live like three times. He's so good. Lady Ray. You know Lady Ray? Uh-uh. Oh, my God. Dude. It's like, I got to send you this playlist. I can't wait. I love it. I live for that shit. Tell me about your favorite part of the creative process when you're making music. The, the inception of it. Music comes to me in such like, when people want to play me a track for me to write to, or they want to play you a melody for me to write a track to, um, I, I tell them, do not play me shit until I'm in front of the computer and everything is ready. Right. Because the first, the first inspiration is going to come, is going to be fast, going to be loud, and it'll be all done. Like 90% of it is going to be done. So for me, that's my favorite part. What I hate is going back in the studio and editing and doing all that shit. You know, I love, I love the part where you're excited because it's new, mm-hmm. you know? And there's just so many sparks that are flying, you know, yep. like, give me the give me the guitar, do this, fly this, you know? Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love feel that. the That's same what... way about this. This is the best conversation I've had in a month. And tomorrow when I'm <laughs> editing it for four hours, I'm going to want to fucking jump off the roof. I can't stand it. But oh, man. this part of the process is great. You got to use AI now to edit. Yeah, but I don't I'm too much of a control freak for that. You know, somebody was telling my friend JP um, is a very talented producer here in New York, he has his own studio and I'm there like checking out his artists that he's working with and just hanging out and pretending that um, I work there, even though I don't. (laughs) He was telling me that there's all these things you can do to like automate shit. And I'm like, and he was even saying he works with somebody that they get paid to kind of like edit podcast episodes like this. And the person who creates it will just kind of tell them, cut it here, cut it here, cut it here. I said, fuck no. Like I need to be in charge of what I'm doing and what I'm putting out even if it drives me crazy and I don't want to do it, like I still have to do it myself. Otherwise, it doesn't feel the same. And if there's one little thing that's fucked up, I don't want anyone to blame but myself. I can be man of myself all I want. I don't want to blame anyone else. I'd rather be my own fault. If the numbers don't show up like you want to, you're like, it's because of that millisecond I did not fucking edit. You know, it's because of that dude. Right, versus it's that motherfucker over there that did it. I don't want to have that problem. You know, I uh, I just spent the last three days learning uh, uh, Adobe Premiere mm-hmm. because in the future, I mean, I'm so in love with directing. That's something I want to do in the future. Like, I want to direct films I love and that. movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, I'll always be at the party like this. Like, I'll put cinematic mode and I'll be like... <laughs> I forget I have it. I need to, like, work on that. 
you know, I just, I just love that stuff. It's, uh, it's, you know, so I, I'm, I think that today as an artist, no matter what you do, uh, there's no reason why you can't know everything. You don't have to be a master at everything, but you got to understand how to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't just come to me and say, I'm a lyricist, I'm a piano player, right. I'm an engineer. Dude, fuck that, man. Be everything. You know, like, what are you telling me? Like, you got to do it all. This is your career, you know, like make sure you're part of it. So I learned how to do everything. Right. And I will keep on learning more because we're lucky to live in an era where we can do that today. Exactly. That's on my list too, Premiere. Okay, I want to get into the new single, which just dropped, Tropicana Kisses. I'm just going to go yeah. off for a second, and then I'll, I don't even know what to ask you about it. I just want to tell you what I think, because I've been thinking about it all week. I didn't know who Eric Zane was when they sent me this song for the interview, and I played it eight times in a row, one after the other. I was super stoned. That's how I listen to new music. I always get super stoned. I was whooping and making these crazy noises in my house while I was running around in circles and then i played it in the car so i live about an hour outside of new york city on long island so we have a lot of beaches out here so i was driving to meet my siblings to go to the beach over this really long bridge that connects you like from long island almost to like the fire island area to get to the good beaches and i had the windows down and i had the music up and the sun was like right at that point where it's not really setting yet, but it's coming down and it's like that nice hue of light. And I had this fucking song blasting and I'm feeling excited because nobody's heard this yet, but I'm listening to it. And I was just like in a world. I felt like I was in that episode of um, you watch Black Mirror. Yeah. That episode um, where that reminds me of San Diego. Oh, San Junipero, where they're like dead uploading themselves into this paradise. That's where I felt like I was. (laughs) And when people send me music, for interviews, artists will send me music, uh, representatives, whether it be PR or management, will send me music. I never want to come off as a snob because I feel honored that anybody wants to send me something to potentially interview people. But I am not one of those like clout chasers, as they call them. I don't give a fuck how many streams someone has. I don't give a fuck how many views someone has on TikTok. I don't give a shit about any of that. I never want to talk to an artist that doesn't make me run around my apartment when I hear their music. And I lost my fucking mind listening to this song so much so that I didn't even listen to anything else that you had put out for like five more days because I kept pulling people at work and being like, yo, come over here and listen to this. I'm not supposed to play this for you, but you got to hear this. And then we're like, I'm talking to my sister and we're like having a couple beers one night and we're like smoking a cigarette in the kitchen, which we only ever do when we're like super drinking. We don't smoke in the house. (laughs) And I'm like, you got to hear this fucking song. It's literally like summer in a bottle, but on your speakers. And everyone who played it was like, what is that? Almost every person that I played it for, well, like the educated people who listen to, you know, music, not the general population, as I call them, were like, oh, that reminds me of Prince. And I was like, yes, that's the first fucking thing I thought of was this reminds me of Prince. And then it's so funny that you're saying all this shit about Prince. That's it. I quit. I I love it. I can't get enough of it. I think it's a radio hit. I think it's the song of the summer. I can't get enough of it. So tell me anything you want about it. I don't care. That's it. I'm out of breath. Like I I need a I need a inhaler. <laughs> what an intro, man. Wow. <laughs> you know what's interesting? First of all, thank you. Uh you know what's interesting about it is that um you know like 
I, I'm, I try to be careful not to oversaturate the conversation with Prince, mm -hmm. right? But I will say this. Um, a lot of people that I say, oh, yeah, it sounds like Prince, they're thinking that it's like the ink, you know, it's got all that stuff and the guitar and it's fast and it's like, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, I'm talking like really sounds like, like old school Prince, you know? And I noticed that a lot of people weren't doing that. Like it's got a Dove's Cry vibe, mm -hmm. right? And um, I was so excited. What's interesting about this song is that you haven't heard this yet, but the original of this song, you're going to absolutely love. Oh, you're going like, to send me that too? I can't wait. I will. Yes. And it's coming out after this one. Oh, you're going to release and, it? Uh, yes, I'm calling it a remix. I love it. And I'm going to release all the stems right for djs to remix and it's going to be a competition it is so funky and it's a different thing it's like it's got slap bass i love it you know it's dope you're gonna love it like you're it, like it's my really musical dream come true and i didn't even know anything about you three weeks ago <laughs> this is like this is the best thing that's happened to me in months <laughs> thank you bro. so i was like so i wrote that version and I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, that's the jam. Like, everybody loved it, right? And then I'm like, but how can I make it more distinguished? Mm -hmm. And now we're breaking out of the original creativity and the fun of it into the editing part of it. I went for, it probably took me four months to finish this new version that you heard right. from the original version that I'm going to send you and everybody's going to hear. And I know you're going to love it. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't finish it. I'm like, so you see at the end how the chorus happens and there's just these sustained vocals and then the beat comes in. This is where I would get stuck for months. I'm like, I can't just go from, I can't just go from the second verse into the pre-chorus, into the chorus, back into the end chorus. Mm -hmm. Like that makes sense. Like, what is it? Just a long chorus? Like, no. So I would get lost and eventually someone said, why don't you just cut the beat out and have these flowy angelic vocals on top and then come back to it and when i did it i'm like there it is but it was I actually have a friend of mine that filmed me having a mental breakdown about finishing this damn song this version as you have it and going back and forth to playing my old version and my new version for the biggest people i know like walter afanasiev who wrote he literally sold 750 million records yes he i know i know who he is well <laughs> Okay, cool. So he's like one of my mentors, right? So, and a lot of people would pick the original, not this version, but then other people like my, you know, like Pharrell Williams people or whatever, they would pick th this new version. So it brought nothing. It, it made me more confused in the end because I'm like, God damn, like <clears throat> half the people like this version, half the people like this version. I don't know which version I like. Right. I can't figure this out. It, but eventually it landed and I, I was really, really happy with it. The response has been amazing, man. I'm so stoked. I swear to God, man, like I've had exactly what you said to me three times today from different people. Like, um, so I'm shooting Instagram videos right now with just the song and the lyrics of the song. Right. And I sent it to this person to do add lyrics to this video. And she said, I normally charge 150 bucks. I'm only going to charge you $10. I'm like, why? She says, there was about fucking 10 people in this room. I played the song that you sent. They all said, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And I love it so much that I'm basically only going to charge you 10 bucks for it. I'm like, what? 
it's just like it's so current and it, it makes so much sense for like music now but it's still so different than anything else that i'm hearing like it has its own style but yet it's still a throwback to another sound of another time i can't say enough good things about it i, I love it you know what i call it what i call it new vintage mm, that's fun i like that yeah that's the that's kind of the word i came up with um because I just think it's like it's paying homage to the old and uh, making it new. And a lot of what makes it new today is being authentic with the fact that it's just one person producing this. Right. Don't try to make it perfect. You know, it's almost like, we, you know, it's so easy to make things perfect today that people want imperfection. Right. They want to feel that it's like not overproduced. It's not over this, you know, so that's what I try to do. So this is the first song from an album, which is your first debut full-length project. Yep. What's, it, what's it called? Can you tell us? What's the album it's, called? It's called Sunset and La Brea. Where does that come from? So Sunset and La Brea, the album is going to come out uh, later this year. I have, um, I think we're going to release four to five singles first before we release the whole album. Oh, great. Great. I'll see you at the fucking end of the year. Thanks a lot. You'll get it first. You'll get it. You'll get it before it's out. Okay, I, I promise. You. Thank you. The reason why I call this Sunset of La Brea is because I didn't want the album to be about a theme. I wanted it to be about a place. Okay. My place. I have a music studio on Sunset and La Brea, and it's like a playground. Like it attracts incredibly talented people. Like the most genius people that I know in LA that come through, and we literally just fucking hang out, write music, party, like dance till like eight in the morning with the doors open, the music loud. It's like, it's so fucking fun. I love that. But that's, that's the way I've always wanted to do it because that's where music should spring from. Yeah. It shouldn't come from a place where you sit down and you try to do anything. It should come from a whole bunch of people vibing. Yeah. And if they can vibe to this when they're drunk and it's late at night, and they're not trying to put their best their best face on. Now you know you're doing something that makes sense culturally. Hundred percent. And that place, my studio, um, it you know it, it, it's it's a place it, where there was a lot of very difficult, honest conversation, a lot of breaking down of culture. Yeah. You know, a lot of different walks of life from different styles of music that came in that were equally brilliant that would butt heads and eventually come up with something great mm -hmm. so this became sort of a church you know and uh i said you know what that is um what i'm going to name this album uh this place and all the interludes on the album are going to be based on amazing conversations that i recorded this is that were in the space while we're having fun this is so wild it's because I grew up in music studios. My mom sings and she was doing backup vocals for a lot of local artists and she worked on some of her own projects. This is going back like up until I was like 15 from the time I was born. Um, and there were two specific studios that we would mostly go between and I would always come with her because I was so obsessed with music and I would just sit in the corner and kind of like observe and watch and take pictures on my stupid digital camera. And that was always the most fascinating part to me that people don't understand who aren't involved or a spectator in these situations, the conversations that go on sometimes for hours before any work even starts. And then the hours it takes to even 
start to put together a song and then all of a sudden you walk out of the studio and the fucking sun is coming up and you're like where did all that time just go but the conversations that happen before any of this brilliant songwriting and production even starts is so crazy and people don't even realize that unless they see it they for themselves they they don't um a lot of people don't realize how intelligent and profound these conversations are because the subtlety of what makes culture, right? It's like, it, it's easy to go out there and be like, oh, I'm just going to do this because that's popular. And it, but that doesn't change culture. What changes culture is, is a way to actually connect to the fabric of what's going on now. And that's a mix between trauma and hope and what came before, what promises are in the, like there's all kinds of stuff that come together and mix in this soup. And then you have a very intelligent, honest conversation that puts you in a vulnerable place. Right. Because you, to talk about culture and think that you know what you're talking about, you're speaking for other people. So you can't do that. So everyone's going to come in and have a personal opinion on it. Um, and generally, people that are very talented are hotheads. Right. You know, like creatives. Um, like I almost had to put a sign in my studio where I, I said, you know what? I'm going to shift this entire studio vibe to bamboos and Buddhas and, you know, all like collaboration because the people that would come in fought so hard to be who they are, right? That anybody who would disagree with their perspective would make them threatened about their own existence. Right. The role of a producer, the role of a collaborator is someone who knows how to acknowledge that, appease that, and allow them to open the door for other perspectives and not from a place of threat, but from a place of love, growth, and expansion and togetherness. And that's very hard to get through people that are like this because they had to fight their whole life to be where they are. Because a lot of people that are in the music industry and have a voice and have developed, have gone through a lot of struggles to right. be who they are. It's a story. And that's generally what I want to talk about, you know? So when these people come together and they find a trust and a safety and there's a bunch of them, it's this fucking explosion, you know? And uh, that's what, that's what would happen all the time. So I would use it as an opportunity. Everybody would, everybody would be coming in my studio and I would play my music without telling anyone. And I'm looking at their feet tap. Right. like, yeah, their feet didn't tap on the on the bridge. I got to work on that. I don't even tell them, you That's know. That's crazy. I and love other that. people would come and do the same, you know. And it was just like it was this exchange all the time. It was so cool. Yeah, just slip that music in there in between stuff, and they don't even know. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Is the single a good indicator of what the sound of the album will be like? Yes. Great. I can't it wait. Really it it really is, man. Like I'm fucking so excited. Like it's. It's got some, uh, it's got some Prince, it's got some Jamiroquai, it's got some Stevie, it's got some um, Marvin Gaye, you know? Oh, love that. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's really dope. Are you nervous about putting it out because it's your first? No. No? Not at all. Simple answer. The only thing I'm ever nervous about is the marketing side because I'm not a marketer. Right. Um, and I don't know how to market my shit and I just really want everybody to hear it. Yeah. You know? Um, that's the only thing I'm, I'm nervous about because, you know, I just want it to be heard, man. I want people to, you know, to just, to, to check it out and, and, you know, to share it with everybody. Yeah. But 
when it comes to planning for people, not at all. Are you going to tour or do some live shows after this album comes out? Yeah, I am. Um, I don't want to do. I I don't want to do the Hollywood club circuit. Ugh, I don't know? blame you. It's so corny. Sorry, I don't care. It is every time I see people playing those certain places where they announce their shows, I'm like, I can't even imagine how dead and miserable that crowd must be. Actually, the crowd is really good. Really, but that's not the problem. Yeah, I feel like I've heard weird things about LA crowds. Well, LA crowd sucks, but when you actually if you're good and you have friends, that's the problem. You're only playing to your friend. Makes sense. Right? And and that doesn't interest me. Like, I really want to go on tour. Um, actually, I really want to go on tour with Q. That's what I want to do. I will lose my fucking mind. I will lose that's what it. I want to do. I'm going to throw I want to go on tour with Q. I want to go on tour with Anderson Pac. Mm-hmm. I want to go on tour with Silk Sonics. I want to go on tour with CJ Lewis. I want to go on tour with Mayor Hawthorne. Um, those are the people I got my my eyes set on. When did you decide that you wanted to go on tour with Q? Was it before this conversation? Yeah, I've, I've always said it. I could throw up on the floor right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> he just finished a tour and I missed it. So let's get that going. It would be a great, great tour, man. It would be a great tour. And you know what would be even better when you announce that tour? A collaboration. Yes, I actually want to do a collab with Q as well. I really do. I'm so excited. No, dude, there's so many fucking great, like, there's so much great music today. So much. Yeah, you just got to find it. I don't I don't buy into this bullshit of like, oh, like, fuck that, man. Like, Spotify has changed the game. You have access to do everything that you want yourself. You have YouTube University. You have direct access to your fans. And you can make music on a goddamn laptop wherever you go. And Spotify has sort of created a mix of all the different genres that now blend together and create this stuff. And I truly believe that we are back to the 70s in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the the era for real artists to come out again. You know, Um, there's an artist that I follow that Elton John loves. Um, My God, dude, he's like this new Elton John. He plays piano. He wears weird glasses. You, You probably knew who I'm talking about. He's so good. He's so good. And there's artists like Q... Um, you know, there's, it's just like, I follow these artists that feel like authentic. Yes. That's what I like. Yes. And an artist that like gets the importance of a full body of work. Like I hated that time that I feel like we're slowly coming out of that. It was just like fast singles, TikTok shit. What's going to trend? Like, I feel like we're on our way out of that, at least with the artists who are making the right kind of music and the music that I like. There's nothing that's more exciting to me than a a body of work from start to finish that is just cohesive and makes sense and makes you feel something, you know? And that's how I felt about that album of his, the new one, Soul Present. As soon as I heard it, I was like, I don't know exactly what I'm feeling, but there's something I'm feeling. And then as I listened to it over the course of a month, two months, I started to figure out what those feelings were, you know, like it's an experience, an album. And I feel like that got so lost for so long. And I'm happy to see that there's artists out there that are bringing that back and and understand the importance of that for an audience. It's amazing when you think about the most important albums um, from now to the past, right? Like I would name, obviously, Purple Rain. I would name Channel Orange. Mm, Uh, Definitely. 
I mean, I would uh, name Bad Religion. What's one of my favorite songs? Oh my God. Ugh. Bad Religion deserves like a whole mathematical breakdown because like the fucking chords that he goes to is like unbelievable. How, how did you think about this? Um, Lauren Hill, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, mm -hmm. um, Silk Sonics, you know, their new album. Um, and you go back further, you go hip hop, you got NWA, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you have uh, Marvin Gaye. You have songs in the key of life. John Mayer Continuum. Mm -hmm. My God. I mean, it's very different than a single. And, you know, I wasn't going to put out an album because I was putting singles for the longest time. Right. And I got to thank my friend Brenda Reynoso for this, you know, and, and she works with Pharrell. And she was just like, Eric, you got to do an album. I'm like, why? She says, because people will respect you more as an artist if you can show them the whole vision of who you yes, are. Yes, exactly. I'm a single. So I went into, I had the daunting task of figure out how to do an album. And I mm -hmm. did not know how to do it. I was so nervous. And eventually it came together. I had three songs for the first three months. And then eventually all the songs, no joke, every other song on the album came to me within a week after that. It was like, up, 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 up. Is there anything you don't like about performing live? Yes. I, I hate the ass. I hate, um, not knowing who the sound man is mm -hmm. because that's the last chain of defense right there. You can have a great, a great song and then they'll fuck it up and having to invite people to the show. I want to get to a place where I don't have to invite anybody. I just mm -hmm. put out that I'm performing and boom, it gets packed. That is my absolute fucking dream. You'll get there. Yeah. What's your take on staying independent versus signing to a label? Uh, I say collab with both. I say stay independent by owning the house and then uh, collab with others to for distribution and Smart. to create. I say partnership instead of just, you know, individual uh, by yourself. What's your biggest pet peeve when listening to music as a producer? Um, that it's not authentic. But even more so than that is that... Um, there's a team of people that spent million dollars on this product and none of them realize that this is bullshit. What's your biggest pet peeve listening to music as a writer? Um, that is, uh, it's too cliche. You know, mm -hmm. there's no risk. They take no risks. Do you have a favorite setting to write in? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated question because <clears throat> I love to write during the day at 1 p.m. That's okay. my favorite thing. Like windows everywhere. And then I'm creative. I'm focused. I got the sun's energy, right? But then I can't finish the final genius 10% until it's nighttime and it's really late and I'm smoking a joint and it's like purple lighting, right? right. Again, I love when if I'm in Jamaica with my laptop sitting on a beach and I can just write some shit on Ableton, you know? So I guess all of the above. That makes sense. Different settings for different things. <laughs> In what aspect do you feel that you've grown most as an artist? Um, being willing to be true to myself and not caring what other people think. I like that. What's the accomplishment that you're most proud of so far? This album. Really? Mm -hmm. That makes me excited. All right, last question. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Briefs. <laughs> What'd you say? I thought you were going to say boxers or briefs. That's what this always happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, ew. That would be so corny, and everyone does that. <laughs>
what is your greatest hope for your future and what is your greatest fear? Yeah, you weren't expecting that. Boxers are briefs my ass. We're getting deep right before we bounce. Oh, man, you got to ask me a deep fucking question before we go. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, honestly, my biggest fear is that... No, no, no. Hope first. Hope first. Fear second. My biggest hope is that I get recognized for my music at the level that I want to so that I can keep my biggest hope is to create, this is a really tough one, man. Like, but it's about the audience, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm already really proud of what I am within myself. It's about finding my church, finding Mm -hmm. the audience that I can really share with love with and grow with. That is my biggest hope. I don't give a shit about the rest. You know, I want to find my people. That's where what I want. What about your fear? That I don't find them. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Zane, I am obsessed with you in the least gay way. This (laughs) is wild. I can't wait to hear the rest of this fucking album. I'm going to lose my mind. I know it. I I will send it to you, but you cannot share it, man. You can play for people from your phone. I won't even play for anyone. It'll be my secret. I, I honestly, on a serious note, I know you're like laughing, but I take that shit so seriously when people send me things like I never share that shit. I understand like, you know, artists wanting to put things out in their own time. I did play your single for like four people and I shouldn't have, but I did, but I, I couldn't contain it any longer because I needed other people's opinion and everybody to lose their mind, which they did. But usually I don't do that. So yeah, a hundred percent. I always respect that. Dude, it's been such a pleasure. You're such a wonderful dude, man. Like you're incredible. And I really appreciate how in depth you went with my shit and asking me uh, questions that matter to me. Of course. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And thank you for taking the time to be here for way longer than I expected. But I literally could do this all day. <laughs> and I feel like we'll be talking at every single drop. No, I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> and, and we'll definitely talk when you plan that tour. Okay, perfect, man. Q&I, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,